Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. When I was in youth ministry, when we would take trips, we had a rule. We would take the group and say it was 100 people or 50 people, for easier math, we would break up into 10 groups of five, and then we would have an adult with each group of five. And if in that group of five, someone got lost, we had a point that you would go back to. And so if we were at Six Flags, it might be there at the Great American Scream Machine, which is so awesome, right? Maybe not, because that thing always feels like it's about to fall down, right? (laughs) It looks like it's about to collapse, but it might be okay. If any one of your group of five gets lost, everybody go back to the screen machine and wait for everybody to show up. So if you get separated, you have this point of going back, this anchor point to go back to and say, this is where we're going to meet. And we would do that on every trip. Um, And so it was a a way to have the group, even if they were dispersed, to come back to to one spot. And then we would have regular check-ins too. So like every two hours, you had to come by and we had to see you and check you off the list. And so we would show back up at that point, that meeting point. When we're lost and when life gets confusing, sometimes it's good to go back to those anchor points, to what you know. The story we're looking at today, we're going to look at David in a very confusing part of his life and him going back to an anchor point. Now, what's going to be tricky about this is that the anchor point he connects to isn't necessarily a good thing. Keep that in mind and let's work through this tension and this craziness that is David's life. If you've been following us in this sermon series, you know that David has been on the run from King Saul, and twice Saul, he had the opportunity to to kill King Saul and refused to and said, no, I'm not going to do that. He is still the anointed of God, so I'm not going to put my hand on him. We can't do that. And so finally, David's had it. This guy's tried to kill me multiple times. He's still hunting me down with 3,000 men, and I've only got 600. So we turn to verse uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27, and we're going to look at all of chapter 27 and the first two verses of chapter 28. It's only 14 verses, but that's where we find David in the middle of trying to get away from Saul. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 27, then David said in his heart, this is really cool when the Bible does this because you're getting the interior dialogue of a character, so this is important to understand his motivation. So David says, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul, There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Now, that should kind of pique your interest there. What's what's weird about that? Not rhetorical. Right, so the Philistines are the enemies of the Israelites, and he had killed Goliath, who was a Philistine, right? He was part of the Jewish nation, they were the Philistines, they'd been in battle, and he killed their, their symbol of great power and strength. So David is so afraid of his life from Saul, sees that there's no way out of it that he has to run to the enemy. 
So he thinks this, and he says, Then Saul will disappear, uh, will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David's motivation here is, I can't live in constant fear. I can't live in these situations where every time I turn around, someone's betraying me within Israel to Saul, and I'm having to fight, or I'm having to run away. This is no life. This is no way to exist. I can't keep doing this. And so the only thing I can think of is to go just over the border into the Philistine uh, land and live there. Get away from Saul because he will not encroach over there. So David arose and went over, he and his 600 men who were with him, to Achesh, the son of Maach, king of Gath. And David lived with Achesh at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives. Yes, you read that one correctly. David now has two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel. This was Nabal's, Nabal's widow, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So David, in fear of his life, says the only thing I can do is go and hide with the Philistines, and he does, and it achieves the very thing he wanted to achieve. But understand what this means for a Jew in David's time. When you leave the land, you leave the presence of God. I don't know if you knew that about Judaism, but in their mindset, God was intricately woven with heritage and the land, with the people and with the land. And it's because where was the presence of God believed to be at this time? Does anybody know? The ark on the cover, the seat of the ark in between the wings, the presence of the very presence of God was. Where was the ark? Well, it was in a, it was in not, it was in a temple, but it wasn't the ultimate temple yet. They hadn't built the huge temple yet. This was a more or less a makeshift temple. But the presence of God was in the land of the Israelites with the Jewish people. And if you were to leave that land, in essence, you were leaving the presence of God. And when you left your people, you left the connection not only to your people, but to your people as part of God's people. We don't think like this. I mean, we have people scattered all over the United States that are in our family, and we don't think twice about it, right? But for them, this was a major thing. So as David leaves, he's not only leaving his people, he's not only leaving his land, but he's leaving his people and the land of God. And the presence of God now is far from him. Now you get this sense as he as he writes the Psalms often, you see this struggle that David has, like, where are you, God? Oh, show up and help me here. Why are my enemies always around me? I mean, he is struggling with being out in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's, that's amplified now that he's left the confines of Israel. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes... Let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so 
the king gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, this is a little parenthetical here that we don't have time to get into, but it's very interesting if you ever want to do a study on the significance of that. We're not going to today. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. A year and four months. A year and four months of being away from family. A year and four months away from being in your land. A year and four months away from being in the presence of God. This is the dark night of the soul. Is what one theologian calls it. It's the place where you feel far from God. You know God loves you and you know He cares, but there just seems to be this distance. You don't seem to be getting through. Sometimes it feels like your prayers hit the ceiling and go no further, right? This is kind of that moment for David. And so in this moment, David falls back on what he knows to do. He falls back on the history of his people. And so he asked for a city. Now what's interesting about this city is we don't know exactly where it is, but it was right on the border between the Philistines and the lower part of Israel. And it was a part of what should have been the whole kingdom of Israel, except as the people settled the land, they didn't push out the inhabitants like they were told to do. So the people that David is living around are people who have long been embattled against the Israelites. People who the Israelites were supposed to push out of the land years ago. And people that Saul, the current king of Israel, was supposed to destroy. So here David is in a foreign land on the edge of two countries, and he's really a man with no country. And he's in a land of people that the Israelites have long been at war with. Now David, verse 8, and his men went up and made raids against the Gershites, Gesherites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Now, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this in Hebrew because it's kind of funny. For, those, uh, for these were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure, to the land of Egypt. All three of these people, now we don't really know who the Gerzites are because this is the only place that it occurs. Um, without getting into too much detail here, this probably is a misspelling because Hebrew doesn't have vowel points, this is getting way in the weeds. And so, so one word can be like 10 different things, so we really don't know what this word is. It's a group of people living in the land that were enemies to Israel. So David, while living in the land of the Philistines, is going out and raiding these inhabitants. These inhabitants that have long been enemies of Israel. David is falling back on his history and the history of his people. He's doing the very thing that no other king would do, particularly Saul. He's doing the very thing that none of the leaders before him would do. So what David is saying is, I don't know if I feel the presence of God, but I'm going back to this, what I know should have happened a long time ago. What should have happened a long time ago was obedience from God's people, and they didn't do what they were supposed to do, so I'm going to pick up where they left off, and I'm going to start raiding these people, but he doesn't just raid them. 
Verse 9, and David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive. That's troubling. Let's be honest. That's disturbing, isn't it? David, not being told to, not being led by God to do this, David says, all right, no one else would do it. I'm going to go and kill them. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to kill all the men and all the women. And then I'm going to take all of their stuff and I'm going to give it to the Philistine king and I'm going to keep some for myself. David's a complicated character. I think David falls into his default mode. I think David falls into this idea that I don't feel God or hear, or hear God, so I'm going to manufacture what I think ought to happen next. And he uses the crutch of his people's history to justify it. David is a complicated character. There's nowhere in this pericope, this section of Scripture, that even mentions Yahweh or the Lord. There's nowhere in the Scripture that says anything about David hearing from and being obedient to. This is David being out of connection, being lost in the middle of the desert, and trying to figure out what to do next. And so he goes into default mode, and he begins to manufacture his own way. And in so doing, he goes in and kills all these old enemies of the Israelites, and he takes their stuff from them. Now, it's easy to look at David here and to feel a little sad, a little disturbed, a little frustrated that he would do this, a little judgmental against David. But understand that we very much are like David at times. How often do we not listen for the voice of God? How often in our life do we ignore the truth of Scripture? How often in our lives do we fall into a default mode of selfishness? How often do we manufacture our own way instead of letting God guide us? David's doing what everybody else would do in his position. David's doing what the world around him tells him is okay. It was nothing to go in and kill and rape and destroy. That was just part of it. And if you don't believe me, just wait. The story gets really ugly with David. And what happens to him and his family. We think we live in a bad time. Understand that it was not uncommon for people to be dragged out in the middle of the street and abused multiple ways. Physically, sexually, mentally. Abused in front of people right there in the streets. It was not uncommon for a beheading. It was not uncommon for someone's skin to be peeled away and put on a stake for, look, this is the warning, don't do this. These were brutal people at brutal times, and David is living right into it. He's doing nothing different than what the world does. And how often, how much brutality have we watched and confused it for something else? 
How often have we said something's good when it's really not? That's kind of where David is, isn't he? He would not leave a man nor a woman alive, but he would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments. (laughs) I hope not the ones they were wearing when he butchered them. And he came back to Achish, and when Achish asked him, where have you been to make your raid today, David lied. So not only has he been killing women, he's now a liar. David would come back to Achish and he would bring these goods and he would offer him a portion of it. Look, I've got you these goats and these camels and all of this. And then then here's some clothes. This is my tribute to you for giving me a town. And so here's your stuff and I'm going to keep the rest of it. And he would say, oh, well, where did you go today? And David lied. And David would say, oh, I went against the Negev of Judah. I went against the Negev of the Jehoramalites or against the Negev of the Kenites. These are all small family tribes of the people of Israel. So Achish, the king of the Philistines, was saying, where did you go? And David was like, I went against my own people. All of this stuff I got, I got it from my own people. See, I don't like them anymore. But all the while, he was actually destroying people that the Israelites had been fighting against the whole time. Now, had he told the truth, the king probably wouldn't have cared. But David, in his mind, thought, if I lie about this, I can garner favor from the king. He will see that I'm really on his side and not on the Israelite side, that I have really betrayed my people and my land, and I'm part of his crew now, and he can use me. David is leveraging himself and positioning himself, and he's doing it through a lie. Now again, before you get too judgy, how many lies have you told to leverage what you want? How many times have you lied to protect yourself? David is a complicated figure. Then when he's in this wilderness and he doesn't know what to do, he falls back on the history of his people and he's using it and trying to position himself. Now here's the problem with that, guys. When we go rogue and we try to position ourselves, when we go rogue and we use what everybody else is doing around us as an excuse, oh yeah, this is okay, Oh, yeah, this is, don't worry about what God says. Don't worry about what the Scripture says. This is really okay. This is good. When we get there, we're no longer trying to perform the work that God has for us. We're trying to leverage ourselves for whatever. To please other people. To garner favor. We're leveraging ourselves so people will like us. Or we're leveraging ourselves to get power. Or we're leveraging ourselves to get fortune. I don't know what it is, but we all do this. 
And David's just like us, particularly when he's in this dark night of the soul, when he is out in the middle of nowhere and he's away from his people and he's doing what he thinks is right. He's doing, and, and if you interviewed him at this point, he would say, no, I'm doing this and I'm doing this for God. I truly believe he thought that he was doing the right thing. But here's the point. When we are disconnected from God, when we are not invested in that relationship, when we are not truly hearing from Him, we can end up in places that we shouldn't be, doing things that we shouldn't do, all for His namesake, even though it's really for us. All in the sake of being kind and loving and nice or whatever, but it's really for us. And that's exactly what David's doing here. Or at least, that's what I think David's doing here. That's what it seems like David is doing here. Verse 11, And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath. He was thinking that lest they should come and tell the king about us and say, Oh, so this is what David has done. So part of his mentality on killing men and women was so that these tribes that he was killing... Someone wouldn't sneak out and tell the king that David was really lying to him and was actually killing people that were friends of the Philistines versus the Israelites. So part of David's, part, part of David's motive was political. And again, how many times do we make decisions based more on our political leaning than we do on Scripture or the truth of God? How many people are more Republican than they are Christian? How many people are more Democrat than they are Christian? How many of us are more North American than we are Christian? It's easy to look at David's life and go, man, this guy's really messed up. But his messed upness is our messed upness. And the way we end up messed upness is the same way he ended up in messed upness. It was when we were disconnected from and not hearing from and not nurturing that relationship and that voice of God in our life. Where we say, we don't care about your word and what it says. When we say, we don't care about your will for me. I want to do my own thing. When we say, I'm going to choose this day how I live. When we make those decisions and we don't give space for God, we are doing exactly what David did. And all too often we do it and we justify it. Oh no, this is good. This is right. This is what everybody else is doing. Verse 12, and Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So the king looks at David and goes, man, he is slaughtering his own people. This is awesome. I don't have to do the dirty work. David's a powerful warrior. He's got 600 men, and he's out there off the books. He's like the black ops out there doing things that no one else wants to do, and he's just slaughtering people, and I love it. He's my buddy. <laughs> he's going to always be my servant. David is my dude. Chapter 28, verse 1, And in those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. 
And Ahish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now the reason why we end here is because this is going to get hairy real quick, and we're not covering that this week. David has put himself into a bad situation, thinking that he was doing the right thing and justifying it the whole time. David has been separated and lost and he's wandering in the wilderness and he's disconnected from God and he's making his own decisions and he's painted himself into a bad corner. And that's our story too. When we lose connection, when we don't give time, space, voice, when we don't hear from God, when we're not seeking obedience to him, this is where we end up. In places we were never meant to be, doing things we were never meant to do, being used in ways we were never meant to be used, taking advantage of people in ways we were never meant to be taking advantage, living lives we were never meant to live, believing things we were never meant to believe, Becoming a chameleon looking just like the world around us. So the question for us as we close today is are we willing to make space? Are we willing to do the work, whatever it takes, to give God voice and leadership and guidance to our life? Because if not, like David, we can end up painting ourselves into a really tight corner. We can, again, we can end up doing things we were never meant to do. And like David, we can justify it. And here's the problem with that. When we do, we become hypocrites. And the world doesn't need more hypocrisy. The world needs more Christ. So maybe you're lost and wandering around Six Flags of Georgia. And you're somewhere by a log flume and the rest of your group is somewhere else. And it's time to go back it's time to reconnect. It's time to get back into the presence. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.